Hunting a Killer is a fictional story recorded in chronological order. If you have not listened to the previous episodes, please go back and start from the beginning. We'll be here waiting for you. That's a huge fan. This is it, kid. End of the line. A day to we dembella. Lover Mercier de Bois Chaillot. Mortis me le de Bacord de Mabosche. Adele for de Boisse dembella. This is the longest voodoo chant he's ever done. It does seem longer. Right? It's still going. Give me the power I beg of you! Oh, snap! It blasted him! Are you okay? Yeah. Come on, let's get out of here. Ah, oh, he's back. I knew a gunshot wouldn't take him down. Damn, that's a long fall. Oh, he's done now. He, yeah. Come on. I got you. I love how the place is like blowing up now. Why would that happen? I have no idea. Now, son. Are you gonna be okay? That girl is way older than him. I've been here before. Terrible casting. It's a terrible thing. Watch your head. It's over. Well, that was something for sure. That's the military type one. <laughs> yeah. So stupid. It's pretty ridiculous. Alright. Well, it's late. I should be going. It is a work night. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's almost one. All right, well, thanks for coming over. I had a really uh, fun time. Me too. We'll have to do it again. Yeah, I'm down. Next movie is my favorite, Bride of Chucky. Oh, boy. I can't wait. I love Tiffany. Who? Chucky's girlfriend. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, I got all my stuff. So I'll see you at work tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, mm hmm Uh, wait a second. I can't let you leave like that. You...
you need to go before something else happens. <laughs> okay. Have a good rest of your night. You too. Be safe. Text me when you get home. I will. Yes! Yeah, well, that happened. It's been a full two months since that first kiss. Since then, Jess and I have developed a wonderful relationship, and I can't be any happier, to be honest. She's the best thing that's ever happened to me. She's my girlfriend, like, for real. Taking a chance by moving to Philadelphia for this job has turned out to be a blessing. With that said, Jess and I have to lay low in regards to our professional arrangement. Not exactly the best look to be hooking up with your boss. However, we hope that once the Listening Friends of America case is over, and we will solve this by the way, we hope once this is over, we can make some moves and announce our relationship officially at the office and in our personal lives. But like I said, it's been a full two months since we received anything, or even had a real sniff of new evidence until today. Actually, that's not entirely true. Jess did receive an email from Valerie Madsen, but she will address that later. Today we got another package from Listening Friends of America, and as odd as I thought this case was, it's getting even odder. Like, what the hell kind of odd? Come on, I'll get you up to speed. Circular Logic Studios presents A Phil Interrupted Production Hunting a Killer First, as always, let's start with the Listening Friends of America welcoming letter from Jacob Nielsen. Prepare yourself. This is kind of nonsense. Zero, dear listening friend. Perhaps listening eases a simple eagerness. Some even enter moods yearning more every single sundown and give everything. Relax. Evenings always disappoint. In times, hindsight is new knowledge. 
Many years later, I find empty, isolated situations improve notably. Don't always nurture gold. Everything rusts. My advice deals solely on new, weighty aspirations. Set apart some time, eventually. Placate some tension. One new endeavor. Enjoy rain. Go outside. It can only upgrade lonely days. Be excited. One new endeavor. Listen well. Your friend believes in you. Sincerely, Jacob Nielsen. Vice President, Head of Darlington Operations, Listening Friends of America, www.listeningfriendsofamerica.org. What in the world is Jacob Nielsen talking about? The welcoming letters have steadily become stranger and stranger. Now, as much as I think Detective Allen is an amazing man, both with his work ethic and, well, being my boyfriend. I can't believe I just said that. Feels strange. I have to remember, he is, after all, just a man. Us women tend to overthink, overanalyze, and look into things too deeply. That being said, he failed to realize that Jacob Nilsson really had a secret message hidden in his welcoming letter. How did I figure this out? Well, let me explain. After reading it over several times, I realized that if you take the first letter out of every single word, it creates new words, which in turn leads to a message. That message is, please see my message, read. I think my life is in danger. Madsen was a stepstone. Ergo, I could be one. Ergo? Yeah, it's a real word. I don't think I have ever heard anyone I know use that word in a sentence. I much prefer ergo's equivalent, therefore. But hey, that's just my opinion. I'm starting to believe Madsen is dead, and I think Jacob Nilsson is on that list too. But who is doing this, and why? What are they after? Or hiding, for that matter. I did attempt to reach out to Valerie Madsen via email, but her reply was not what I expected and left us in the dust. Her response was, I have left behind this contemptible machine to explore the full spectrum of life. Please allow me the time I need. I know this is sudden, but do not worry over me. I am simply escaping for a little meditative life reflection. Always thou. Well, I guess she is enjoying a nice vacation alone. I mean, I guess that's what grieving wives do? Or was that email not composed by her? As always, Special Agent Jess provides great insight and sees things I would have never noticed. 
Her work deciphering the message in Jacob Nielsen's letter was excellent work. And Valerie Madsen's email to us? To me, it sounds eerily similar to something this man would write. This is John William James' latest correspondence. My dearest friend, it's raining today. I find a great deal of comfort in the soft, velvet drip of clouds. As I look out my window, I cannot help but wonder at how time will make all of us clouds. From dust to dust, they say, when we will go back to Hades. But really, we will dissolve and our liquids will evaporate. The cycle draws us in, and soon we water with our once blood the new soil of our bodies. X. Dot. This is how we remain near to each other. This is how we are freed from our corporeal existence. Make no mistake, we never leave. I think this is why Orpheus had it all wrong. Perhaps this is why he was doomed, why he now plays his lyre among the stars. When I was a boy, my mother and I would lay out in the field near a pond where the swans would gather, and she would tell me stories of the constellations. She was a learned woman, too good for my father. She taught me I would do great things, and that, when she died, she would watch over me from the stars. I believe we are both fulfilling her prophecy. Though much of what I know I learned from my mother, I did glean some useful things from my father as well. As an example, he taught me the valuable lesson of tying up loose ends. Sometimes those loose ends come from unexpected places. Sometimes those we let go will not go, and it is left to us to teach them how to tie up their own loose ends and move on to more fertile fields. It seems as though it was yesterday when I had to lead my favorite pet pig to my father's claws. He tore its skin and cooked its flesh in his fire. We were hungry. We needed our supper. I was pained to see it die, but I knew twas better it than I. Do you ever dream of the stars? Do you aspire to be among them, angelic and ancient? I do. From my mother, from my father, I am too made one. Always, John William James. Okay, so, John talks about rain in the beginning. He says he finds a great deal of comfort in it. And I note that Jacob Nielsen also says he enjoys rain and to go outside. We've been speculating for months now, but are Jacob and John one in the same? Then he has a capital X with a period mark, curiously centered within the correspondence. That reminded me of the alphabet postcard we received a few packages ago, with the period after the X. What is he trying to tell us? The X has to be there for a reason, so I got to thinking. X marks the spot? What if this X in the middle of the correspondence was some sort of a signal or hint? I thought about previous packages, 
In separate packages, we got a pencil, a ruler, and now a compass in this package. Maybe even though these items were sent separately, they were supposed to be used together. Could it be possible that X is a starting point? More on this later with Special Agent Jess. John William James mentions watching swans and constellations with his mother. Indeed, those two things seem to be important to him, as we have received many items relating to both. The next thing I took from this letter was the loose end references. Remember when he talked about Heather, he wrote loose, when he probably should have used the word lose. John says he had to lead his favorite pet pig to its death. I get the feeling that this admirer, Heather, became a nuisance to him, and he tried to let her go, but she wouldn't. Thus, he had to eliminate her. This is a hunch, of course, but it seems plausible. When you play with fire, sometimes you get burned. Heather played too much, and John got tired of her. Now, in addition, we received a strange, small Polaroid photograph in this package. It's of a middle-aged girl, slumped over in a tub, with a glassy stare in her eyes. She's in what appears to be a white or silver robe, and her shoulder is soaked in blood. There is a trail of blood leaking from her mouth. My immediate first impression, she looks dead to me. She's not looking at the camera as one would expect in a photo. She's looking off to the side with that glassy stare. Special Agent Jess and I have sneaking suspicions. This may be Heather. That mysterious X Detective Allen mentioned on John William James's correspondence marks the spot for this nifty compass we have also received with this package. I hate to admit this, but neither Detective Allen or I were able to solve this piece of the puzzle. We have been so great as working together as a team, but after spending numerous hours on this, we could not figure it out. We sought help from one of my old professors at the academy, Special Agent Ravenclaw of the training division at Quantico. He is a wealth of knowledge, an expert. Nothing gets past him. He is a mastermind, teaching me everything I know. I had aspired to be just like him, although I prefer working in the field, not so much as a trainer. But who knows what the future will hold? We knew we could count on him with this. He figured out that by placing the compass on the X, using the ruler, the compass, and the list we received, led us to specific words. That list, you might ask, included a direction, whether it be north, south, east, or west, a degree, and a millimeter. Now, the trick to this was that whatever direction was on the list, you had to turn the bezel and place the moving north 
to whichever direction you were working on. Otherwise, it didn't work. So after that part is complete, you would then place the compass on the X, find your listed degree, and then take your ruler and go in that direction until you hit the millimeter that was listed. Confusing, right? I was never in scouts growing up, so I had never learned how to properly use a compass. Anyways, our first word was north 160 degrees 52 millimeters, which led us to I. Next was west 120 degrees 32 millimeters, which led us to will, and so on, creating the message I will leave soon. Freed from Hades, I will never look back. I will not make the mistake of Orpheus. The time draws near. Greek mythology, yet again. If you don't remember the story of Orpheus, let me refresh your memory. Long story short, on the day of Orpheus and Eurydice's wedding, Eurydice was walking in the tall grass and was set upon by a satyr, but she escaped. Then she fell into a nest of vipers and suffered a fatal bite on her heel. Wow, what a horrible wedding day. Her body was discovered by Orpheus, who was so heartbroken and began playing sad, mournful songs for the nymphs and gods. He took their advice of going to the underworld to try to persuade Hades to free Eurydice by playing his music to soften Hades' heart and allowing her to return to Earth. Hades agreed under one condition. Orpheus is to walk in front of Eurydice and never look back until they both reached the upper world. Well, as soon as he reached the upper world, he forgot that they both had to reach the upper world before looking back. And when he looked back, Eurydice was not yet in the upper world, and she vanished forever. Such a terribly sad story. So with that story being said, who, in our case, is Hades? Is it Dr. Richter? Assuming Orpheus is representing John William James, and who represents Eurydice? So much to think about and consider. Another item we received reminds me of our last package. Remember that cute little blue pig bead? Well, this one is even better. It's the exact same bead, only pink, which couldn't be more perfect since pink is my favorite color. Might I also add, both of these pig beads were not mentioned in the inventory sheet. So who wants us to have them? And what do they signify? Maybe after we solve the case, I can keep both of these beads on my desk at work. A reminder of the grueling amount of time we have put into this case. Plus, well, they're adorable. Anyways, aside from the adorable pink pig bead, my most favorite piece of this package are the medical records of Mary Beth Anna James. Anything medically related intrigues me. I had dreams of becoming a nurse, even started nursing school. Quite a change of careers, huh? Life is unpredictable. So it appears Mary Beth, or as she refers to herself, Emma B, 
had her initial consult and established care with her doctor on December 10, 1953. On March 11, 1954, she came in for a visit with pain in her arm and wrist from a clothes hanger accident. What? I have never had issues with my hangers. The doctor casted her and advised her to take aspirin for the pain. She returned a month later for cast removal. Bone was healed properly. In October of 1954, she sought care of her doctor for a depressed mood. Doctor diagnosed her as being maladjusted, failing, unable to cope with the demands of a normal social environment. September 26, 1955, she returned with pain in her shoulder. The doctor determined that she had a dislocated joint from falling down the stairs. He advised her to take aspirin. An x-ray of this shoulder dislocation has also been included in the medical records. It looks pretty bad. On November 3, 1956, she presented with nausea, fatigue, and a missed period. She was pregnant. On June 29, 1956, she gave birth to John William James. Six months later, she had her physical exam. Then there is nothing until five years later. On May 25, 1961, she was severely depressed. The doctor diagnosed her with mild neurosis and told her to stay away from alcohol, get plenty of sleep, and take up a hobby. The following month in June, she visited her doctor for depression. Her doctor diagnosed her with neurosis and depression. She placed her on 500 milligrams of benzedrine per day. She returned in July for an update of medication, and her doctor discontinued the use of benzedrine and placed her on 500 milligrams of Ipraniazid per day. In October of 1961, she returned for another update of medication. She was placed on 500 milligrams of phenylzine per day. There was nothing else noted on the record. Now, prior to her appointment on May 25th of 1961, she wrote a letter dated May 15th, 1961 to her doctor. It reads, Dear Dr. Jenkins, I do hope you are well. I'm writing you because it's easier than a phone call. My husband does not check the mail each day. I do. I have been feeling very out of sorts lately, more than usual. Today it struck me very suddenly and quite painfully that I am melancholy. I have heard that there may be more we can do to help this. Lately I've taken to drinking some of my husband's liquor after he falls asleep in front of the television. My son caught me last night. I had to tell him that sometimes life is difficult, too difficult for us to handle ourselves, and that is why sometimes we need a little help now and again from friends and family. He understood. His eyes were full of sympathy. He even asked if he could save me. The dear, I'm quite all right, but if I ever need a savior, I'll let him know. The whole event upset me so much that I woke up this morning crying. I don't think that is normal. Do you, doctor? At any rate, I would like to correspond about this as much as we can through letters, if that's all right with you. I'd like to set up an appointment for next week, preferably Thursday. My husband will be in town all day then. Thank you for your understanding and discretion. Sincerely, Emma B. James. Wow, this poor woman. She sounds terrified of her husband. I feel so horrible for her. 
I cannot imagine living in fear the way that she did. The next letter she wrote is dated August 20th, 1968. Dear Dr. Jenkins, I do appreciate everything you have been doing to help me, but I cannot shake this feeling that something deeper is going on than what your pills can handle. I do feel better overall, but there is a wall, like glass, that keeps me from feeling the world around me. Now that you have helped me, I am too aware this wall exists, when before, I was too caught up in my own fits of sadness to even notice. I would like to make a trip to visit that doctor you mentioned, the one that was on television. It's so cruel what they did to him. He seems intelligent and kind and, as you said, specializes in the brain's architecture. I'd like to know if he can help me. Please let me know if you can set up an appointment for me. I don't think I need to tell you to keep this a secret from my husband. He gets so jealous of new men. I can't even talk about the sheriff's deputy that came by asking about a missing pig. Thank you again for all that you have done for me. If it weren't for you and my son, I don't know what I'd do. Sincerely, Emma B. James. She sounds like such a broken woman. The last part of the medical records we received is a note from her primary doctor, Dr. Jenkins. It reads, In September 1968, Mrs. James saw Dr. Shepard outside Columbus for a consultation about her nervous disorder. Mrs. James refused any communication with regard to that visit. Poor Mrs. James. I don't think the medical world was that advanced with treating depression and other mental disorders as they are today. It's a shame. And then eight years after that note from her doctor was written, Mrs. James died on November 25th, 1976. I try to put myself in her shoes, having an abusive, controlling husband, feeling absolutely miserable, trapped. I think if I were in that situation, much like her, my child would be the only thing keeping me alive in this world. Otherwise, what do you have to live for? There's a lot to think about in this case, right? So much information. And yet not enough to lead us to any major breaks or arrests. Only two more things to discuss remaining from this package. The first being what appears to be a travel advertisement for California. By my estimation, it certainly appears to be circa the 1950s. There are two women in bikinis and clothing from that era. It reads, your California life is waiting. Come find it. California is the perfect place for your next vacation. And it goes on and on talking about the great things in California. On the back, it says, the finest way to fly. 
fly with AUS and fly with freedom. With destinations from Key West to the Far East, go wherever your heart takes you. So again, on one side, there is a small font talking about the wonder and fabulous lifestyles to be found in California. And the other side is an ad for an airline, AUS, that flies nationally and to California. This item left me scratching my head. California? There hasn't been one mention of California in this case whatsoever. Our only possible theories pertaining to this evidence is that perhaps California was the final destination that Heather and John William James hoped to sail off to one day. Uh, that's a long shot at best. I know. The last item is a postcard with artwork on it. The artwork is titled The Dragon Swan, and it is very similar to the Swan postcard we received way back in package one. Except this design, the Dragon Swan, is as you would imagine. It's what appears to be a swan and a dragon combined. It's hard to make heads nor tails of it. <laughs> All jokes aside, the drawing is mostly of a beastly dragon with some swan body parts mixed in. I'm going to assume the swan represents his mother and the dragon his father. John himself is the dragon swan. I don't read anything deeper into this particular item. I'm sick and tired of getting these random clues, hints, and puzzles. I want answers, and I decided it was time to seek permission from my girlfriend and boss, Special Agent Jess, about making a move against listening friends of America. Jess? Yeah? We've been buying our time and building our case, but to what end? We aren't getting any definitive answers. I say the time is now to make our move. Let's get a search warrant and our FBI team together and storm the Listening Friends of America Darlington facility. I'm in complete agreement with you, but not yet. If we get inside the doors of that private institution, we gain access to their paperwork we can interview patients and staff. We can get to the bottom of everything. I'm sure having John William James or Jacob Nilsson in an interview room would be revealing to say the least. Exactly, babe. That's what I'm saying. We need answers for Lillian Grayson, Lloyd McGowan, and Valerie Madsen. I don't think we can get those responsible sitting behind these desks anymore. That's all true. But what if we strike too soon? What do you mean? Think about it. We have evidence, and clues, sure, but we do not have our smoking gun. We are missing that final piece that puts this puzzle together. If we strike too soon, we stand a chance of blowing this whole case. Do you trust me? Of course I do. You know that. Then trust me on this. We wait. Just a little longer.
This has been a Circular Logic Studios presentation. Hunting a Killer is produced, written, and performed by Phil and Jessica Allen. Editing by Phil Allen. Based on Hunt a Killer.